Anse! Hello! You're listening to Achimowin on CJSR 88.5 FM, located in the city of Edmonton, which is on Treaty 6 territory, as well as Region 4 of the Métis Nation. This is a traditional gathering place for the Cree, Blackfoot, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and others to whom we pay our respects and thanks. My name is Shana Giles, and I'm of Métis descent. My pronouns are they, them. This week on Achimowin, we'll start by going over some recent headlines, as well as a listening recommendation, before heading into our feature interview. This week, our feature interview is with Krista Letty, the talented beater behind Beaded Chickadee. Krista does Métis beadwork, and her designs are absolutely beautiful. So I wanted to sit down and talk to her about beading, and what it means to her. But before that, let's start by getting into the news. The statue of Winston Churchill outside of Edmonton's City Hall has been doused in red paint. It was reported on Thursday, June 17th, and the paint was removed later that afternoon. For those of you who don't already know, Winston Churchill was the British Prime Minister during the Second World War, but was also a notorious racist, notably saying that he believed there was no wrongdoing against North America's indigenous population, he was not against the use of poison gas against Kurdish and Afghani people, saying, I am strongly in favor of using poison gas against uncivilized tribes. And he did not act when India, under British rule, faced a famine that killed 2 million people in 1943. He instead blamed the deaths on the populace, saying they, quote, breed like rabbits. These are only three of his controversies, and if you're still not quite sure why someone would deface a statue of Winston Churchill, I recommend you read up on him. There's an informative article from BBC News called The Ten Greatest Controversies of Winston Churchill's Career, which offers a quick run-through of some of his words, actions, and inactions against those under the rule of the British Empire. So make of that what you will, but I do recommend you read up on Churchill's legacy, especially his words, actions, and inactions regarding indigenous people. That's about as much news as we have time for this week, but I do have a listening recommendation for you. So I've been listening to a CBC podcast lately called Telling Our Twisted Histories. It's an 11-episode series, and each episode focuses on one word that's meaning has been twisted over the past two centuries of colonization. It's really well made, and it's based on conversations with over 70 indigenous people from 15 communities in what is now Quebec, New Brunswick, and Labrador. I personally really enjoy this podcast. I listen to it when I'm woodworking, and I think that listening to these voices and experiences is important. So check out the CBC podcast, Telling Our Twisted Histories, wherever you get your podcasts. So on to our feature interview for this week. As I said earlier, this week's guest is Krista Letty, the beaded chickadee. Krista is Métis, like me, and does traditional and modern beadwork, among other things. Her designs have been featured in Canadian Geographic, and she recently finished a beadwork design for the New Dawn Métis Women's Society, which will be featured on the cover of a book called Stories of Métis Women, Tales My Cookham Told Me, which will be coming out on August 15th of this year. I talked with Krista about beading, about traditional arts, and about Métis identity. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview. Hi, 
my name is Krista Letty. I am a Métis artist, artisan beater, mostly a beater. I uh, also teach traditional Métis cultural arts and uh, tell Métis stories. My family comes from St. Albert and Lac St. Anne, but I call Edmonton and Smoky Lake home. So I live between two places. It's a complicated life, but I love it. You are the creator behind Beaded Chickadee. Uh, first off, what can you tell me about Beaded Chickadee? Well, yes, I am Beaded Chickadee. Um, I have a thing for birds. So if you follow me on social media, you know that I really enjoy birds. I was trying to come up with a name that represented who I am and what I do that was um, honestly was marketable, but also was pleasant to me. And I didn't want to use my name. So yeah, that's that's where Beaded Chickadee comes from. So how long have you been doing beadwork? Mm, that is a complicated question. <laughs> so when I was younger, my cook um would babysit me sometimes. And I remember when she had those opportunities, she sometimes would have friends come over. So these aunties and they would show me different traditional arts. So I was probably seven or eight the first time I really got my hands on any sort of real traditional art. And I just remember as being a kid being told, my girl, thread my needle. So here I was, this little kid threading needles. <laughs> I have to say, I didn't really connect with it then because this is something that takes a lot of patience. And I've always been a creative sort. So I've been doing art and crafty things. My kids were little, you know, keeping them busy through arts and crafts. And I never really felt like I connected truly with my art. I was never really happy with it. And then I started working with students uh, with Empton Public Schools and needed to start bringing back some of those traditional skills and teach students. So it was not a matter of learning. It was a matter of relearning and connecting with different artisans and knowledge holders and elders and then taking that mastering it and then sharing it and sometimes I was learning along with students and then I found myself I was teaching students and I found that what I was making really just hit home it was it was the right way it was the right way for me to do what I needed to do it was the art that spoke to my soul the most and it just kind of took off from there. It has become a bit more than just a practice. It's a bit of a passion. I speak out quite a bit about reclaiming old patterns because a lot of that has been lost. Reclaiming those stories. But I do a lot of contemporary work as well. So those techniques that were taught to me, I've taken and I've, you know, kind of evolved within my own practice of my art. I mean, that's what every artist does. Every generation does. Things change. Um, but it's also important to go back to the old ways and see the old patterns and know the stories. So I, I'm somewhat of a craftsperson myself. I've been reconnecting to my Métis roots through woodworking. And my first woodworking project really stands out to me. Does your first beadwork project stand out to you? You know, it does, but it doesn't. I wish I would have been able to keep that little piece that I made when I was like little, you know, when I was young. But that, that it is what it is but when I look at where I was and where I've gotten the skill has improved you know just the knowledge of the material I think my stitches are just as careful as they were then it's just better understanding the materials willing to try different and new things I guess that first piece I look at it and I'm kind of happy that I took this path you know I found it again where do you typically find inspiration for your designs I really pull from those teachings I had as, you know, being a Métis person and the respect of 
where we come from and those that have come before us, but also those that are coming ahead of us. So really it's all about, it's, it's about Wakoto and it's all my relations. So it's the land, it's the water, it's the animals, it's the plants, it's the people, it's the stories, it's everything, you know, kind of coming together. That's where the inspiration comes from. So really I can be inspired by texture. I can be inspired by color. Like I'll be sitting there with friends, sitting around a campfire and watching the sunset and I'll take a picture. I'm not taking a picture of the sunset per se. I'm like, look at that color palette, click. And that'll be included in my next piece. Um, I'll be walking down here in Smoky Lake. There's some really great old, old buildings and I'll be driving or walking around and I'll take a picture because I just love how those, those boards have weathered and you'll see lichen and you see this great color palette and patterning. And I'll see a spider in my garden. I'll see a butterfly fly by. So really it's just everything around me. So you mentioned the project for the new Don Métis Women's Society. So that design is going to be featured on the cover of Stories of Métis Women, Tales My Cookham Told Me, a book that's coming out on August 15th of this year. What can you tell me about that? Well, boy, was I ever excited when I was asked, when I was approached. I'm disappointed how misogyny and some of the influences from the larger society have kind of created toxic spaces in our communities. And I think of my cookum, she was such a strong person. Like she was like four foot six. I don't know. She was tiny, but you know, when she walked into a room, she demanded respect, but it wasn't because she was loud and obnoxious. It was just because of who she was. And when I go to like big gatherings, like big Métis gatherings, and I always say this, you have, you know, male elders on one side and they'll be talking and people listen. But when we have our, our, matriarchs, we have our nurturers, we have these people that are, are women and identify such a part of that really close-knit group. When they speak, people stop and listen. And that's not true necessarily outside of our community. Like that's not true outside those gatherings. And so to be asked to participate in this project, to create something that honors that was huge. And the pressure I felt... <laughs> I came up with that floral infinity just because, you know, the infinity is such an important part of uh, our symbolism, our identity. And again, flowers, because they're such an important part of medicine and identity. And so I took my style, which is a little bit more literal. If you've seen the piece, yeah, they're flowers. I've taken a little bit of that stylized Métis element to it, but I did actually use a lot of literal um, images in there. And the plants I chose were really important to food and medicine. And it was, it was a really emotional piece. Um, talking to Bailey and Marilyn, so the editors, was um, how, how do we come up with an image that does this justice? Because uh, this is an important project. Uh, a lot of our stories are disappearing when our elders and our knowledge holders are passing away. So we really need to bring these stories, put them in a format that is uh, safe way to share those stories that are nurturing, uh, that our youth can carry on and pass on and pass on and, and those teachings will still be there. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where that came from. And again, the silk velvet, just trying to honor, you know, where our artisans were before, you know, during the fur trade, Métis beadwork was very valuable. 
I mean, for a lot of families, someone who could bead like a high skill of beading and could sell their pieces and then get better materials. And that was often a way to support your family and an important way to support your family. And we've lost some of that, that entrepreneurial spirit and the using our skills and those skills being seen as valuable. So being able to contribute was important. In that piece as well, I used a lot of antique beads because those are very similar to the beads that those beaters from 200 years ago, 150 years ago would have been using similar ones. So it was almost like bringing them into the piece, allowing them to be a part of this process, representing where we've been, but then using really contemporary beads as well to kind of show where we are and where we're going. I hope this piece in a hundred years when, you know, those however many great grandchildren are looking at it, they'll see the relevance. They'll feel the stories. They'll understand the symbolism and they'll be able to feel connected. So you're currently in Smoky Lake. Uh, You're also one of the 14 artists currently featured at the Blue Horse Gallery and Studios Makerspace in Smoky Lake. Yes! So excited. So my friend Dawn Marie Marchand, she's amazing. She was a former art, well, the very first Indigenous artist in residence for the city of Edmonton. I have to say she did some really great things with her her tenure there. That was amazing. Um, Starting the IM Collective, like bringing Indigenous artists from different walks, which, you know, sometimes can be really difficult. But she did it. A really cool, really good cooperative group of artists. Just some of her shows and whatnot. I'm, I've known her for a long time. Very proud to call her my friend. Yeah, she started this gallery and gift shop in Smoky Lake. And I don't think people realize Smoky Lake is actually kind of a happening place. People are like, oh yeah, Pumpkin Festival. But it's a bit more than that. It's, it's really kind of like a hub of Northeastern Alberta. And the town and the county are really trying to bring in more tourism and artists are included in that. Uh, The arts is such an important way to attract people. And um, I know she has a lot of local support here. So it was not difficult to find time out of my day to create some pieces to put into her gallery. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been very good. I can't wait to see how this is gonna grow. listening to a Chimowin on CJSR. I'm your host, Shayna Giles, speaking with Krista Letty, the beaded chickadee, all about beadwork. So when it comes to doing a, a beadwork project, what sort of steps go into making something like that? Well, I mean, there's very technical, of course, you know find your materials, determine the materials you're going to use. Um, Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, knowing what substrate you're going to use, so the material you're going to beat on. It's really a lot about a story. Even just like have a pair of earrings right here I was making. It's just really about, you know, the story I'm trying to tell. So the story may fit a particular person or a particular demographic, but it's still a story. So part of the preparation is how am I going to tell that story? There's also just the purpose. Why why am I doing this? Most of us all have the hustle. So we make the pretty things to sell because it helps pay for the things that are passion projects. It also helps pay the bills. I'm going to scan on my soapbox here. Uh, Buy from Indigenous artists or companies that support Indigenous artists like, you know, Blue Horse Gallery. 
because for a lot of us, this is how we pay the bills. Um, my beadwork helps support my art and helps pay like bed bills and things. But you know, like this is really important. Buying things that are mass produced in other places is A, not okay. And B, you're not supporting the community. You're supporting a few executives in some other place. So buy indigenous, buy local. How significant is it to you to be able to do things like that for your friends and family? It is so meaningful. It really is. I have to say, when I first really started getting back into this journey of beadwork, I kind of fell into that whole really negative trap of this doesn't have value. This is just a little crafty thing that kids do and it's not valuable. And I really had to rethink that. And I think that's really important for any Indigenous artisan out there. Everything we do has incredible value. Don't undersell yourself. Our stories are valuable. To show you how valuable it is, let's talk about like appropriation. You know, our art literally being taken and created in other places where people don't know the story. They're literally just taking images and creating things. If they weren't valuable, why would they be taking them to make money to create things? So we need to protect it. We need to understand how valuable it is. And we need to make sure we're teaching the next generation that the skill and the hours involved in learning this skill and the skill of being able to create a colorful composition that is beautiful to the eye, but also has meaning. This is incredibly valuable. I can sometimes think that being an Indigenous artisan, taking those stories, taking everything you've learned, and it's a lifelong process of learning, and putting it into art to express who we are is more valuable than going getting your degree at university. Because very few people can teach this. Very few people in our community can support other artisans in this way and the mainstream wants it and we need to we need to recognize that and we need to make sure that we're protecting it in a in a good way that we're teaching the next generation of artisans in a good way I think that's the most important part is recognizing how valuable this is and I mean I mean I can talk about you know monetary monetary value but I'm also talking about cultural value spiritual value, physical value. This is important stuff. Now, in the future, would you like to see beadwork become more popular, more people supporting beadwork or Indigenous uh, traditional arts? Yes, I think there is always room for more. Um, I have heard some people say, oh, you know, there's too many beaters out there. I'm like, no such thing. No such thing. I think it's um, a really valid way to create art. Um, I think there's also a lot of value in looking at it's not so much the material sometimes, I think it's also just the colors and the patterns and the composition. Also going back to those really old ways, like, you know, as a Métis person, of course, you know, we're the children of the fur trade, right? So our, our ancestors had access to those trade goods, but also knowing how to survive and use everything, well, I shouldn't even say survive, thrive and use everything on the land. And so a lot of our art contributes that, like silverberry seeds or wolf willow seeds being part of rosaries or being part of our decoration, porcupine quills, tufting, fish scale, or all of that, right? That comes from the land and we use it, but we also act, accentuate it with things that would have been received through trade. So um, I think that really demonstrates it's not so much about the materials, it's about the expression of the stories. So um, yes, beadwork, beadwork's done globally. Every, I, I've run into 
beaters from all over the world. That's an important part of their tradition of taking colorful bits of things and attaching it to other things. That is not just us, it is a human condition. And uh, this is where I should invest in beads beads or glass works because <laughs> yes, go buy beads, learn how to do that. I think it's um, taking care into the skill. So yes, there is room for more artisans to use beads. I also think that taking on a skill like this and creating some really cool art out of it is as important. Like I just learned how to do weaving. I've been a finger weaver for a while, but actually like loom weave, that was a lot of fun. So learning a new skill and, and, you know, there's a whole subculture behind it, but it's very valuable. I think, I think any of those artistic endeavors that help represent culture, but also the individual is important. I have a bad habit as a craftsperson of just jumping headlong into a project without knowing anything about what I'm doing. Do you have any advice for me or any other people who are interested in getting started with beading? <laughs> well, confession, I also have that problem. Um, if you saw my studio at home, I've got lots of little things that I was like, oh, let's try this. And I buy a few things and I try it and I love it. And yeah, <laughs> I could probably just do art 24 seven and still not do everything I want to do. Um, I think starting with beadwork is if you have a community connection, it's good to learn from that person. But those are hard to come by. They are. And I mean, um, because, well, we're distant, but a lot of our artisans are, you know, no longer able or live too far away or have passed on. Finding a place where you can learn, I think, is important. Um, like, this is going to be a shameless plug for Métis Crossing because I work there. You could always come learn to be with me at Métis Crossing. There are some really great teachers out there who do workshops and just checking out, you know, your local artisan places. Like I know friendship centers and I know um, like in St. Albert, they have the, the Mitch of cultural connections, Métis Nation of Alberta has stuff. Uh, there, there's, there's all sorts of community locations that offer different programs. I really just think though, check who's teaching, you know, like um, I teach indigenous, non-indigenous, I'll teach anybody. But it's who the audience is, changes how I teach. Again, putting colorful bits on things is not unique to us. And I'm happy to, you know, to teach that. Uh, but if you want to learn more about your stories, like your ancestor stories, be choosy. Seek out community connections where you can learn that. Sometimes going and learning the skill and then going to learn the stories is okay. You got to kind of figure out what works, what works for you and what opportunities come forth. And you mentioned earlier that beading can be very helpful for healing. Can you think of any any point in your time when you used beading specifically as a way to get past something? You know what? Quite often, like with my when my mom passed, that was hard in creating work like that. I'm going to talk about it because my daughter is like very open about it and out and I know I've gotten permission. So my oldest daughter actually ran in, in an election, a provincial election not this past one, the one before, she was 18. We had done a lot of work together. Um, so me as a parent supporting her and her speaking out very publicly about supporting GSAs. And in our community, sometimes there's not a lot of acceptance for everybody in our community. And so I beaded some pieces that were really rainbow and just to support, you know, LGBTQQS in our community. And um, I was surprised at how much pushback I got. And so this was my way of pushing back. 
And then uh, in Canadian Geographic last year, I was asked to, uh, to beat a Louis Riel and I knew it was gonna be released in June. So I made him rainbow. And again, just talking about our old ways of understanding community, you know, not this, this sense of what society should look like that's been imposed upon us, but how we understand the world and our people in the old ways. And that I also learned from my cook-up. This was a good way for me to speak publicly, but also to deal with my own frustrations. Do you have any projects that you're working on that you're super stoked about? Oh, I am, but I can't speak too much about it because I don't have permission to talk about it other than I have to beat a magpie and I'm kind of like really freaked out about it. <laughs> and I just bought some beads online that I hope will do it justice. I have a couple other projects that are more like my own passion projects, like to go with my Rainbow Louie. I'm actually making a uh, Gabriel Dumont. So doing a portrait of Gabriel Dumont and it's going to be camouflage. So it's just going to be all greens. So it's only green wool with all of these different colors of green, kind of made green bead soup. Bead soup is like a thing for me. It's like uh, my hashtag beatable and then bead soup is, it's, I love it. I know so many beaters, it gives them anxiety, but bead soup is just basically, if you don't know, is like your leftover beads from lots of projects and you put them in into a jar. And I've got a, I've got a jar of it here. And it's just like everything, different sizes, colors, everything is in this, this jar. Every beater I know has one. And so what I'll do is I'll crack open the jar and just start making something. This dictates, I don't get to look at my wall of 700 different types of beads. It's just what's in the jar. That's hopefully I can fit that in to get done. I'm also hoping to get some, um, I, have a, I have a kid who's you know, engaged and possible getting married soon. So I got need to get things done for that. So I have friends who are having babies. There's always stuff to do for that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about just that. But also, you never know, like something might really come up that piques my interest. I never know what the future brings. So if people are interested in following you on your, your beadworking journey, uh, where can they find out more about you and about what you do? Probably on the socials. So I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok. Although usually what I do on TikTok, I share on Instagram. Also, uh, just so you know, I don't use Facebook as much as the other platforms. So um, yeah, check me out on all of them. Also, you can come visit me at Me to Crossing. I'm there. You know, I'd be happy to chat about beadwork. I do a lot of teaching out there as well. Honestly, if somebody starts co coming up to me and starts talking about beading, I'm, I'm there. Uh, 100%. I'll talk to you about beading. <laughs> to see some of my work, actually, I have a mask in the upcoming Breathe project. It's going to be at the Royal Alberta Museum. I'm not exactly sure on the release date. I believe it's in July-ish. And so I'm going to have some social media related to that. Um, that's Fighting Chickadees is my mask there. Great exhibit to see. So if you're in Edmonton and you want to go to the Ram, definitely take a look at that one. Yeah, Blue Horse Gallery. I'm going to have some more work posted there as well as the months draw on here. If you have questions, DM me, send me a post, whatever. Yeah, if you want to geek out about beads, I'm totally there for it. Is there anything else you'd like to talk to me about or anything else you want to expand on? There's a lot of opportunity for people to reconnect. I know there's a lot of, like, especially in our community, that through things like residential school, 60 Scoop, 
the social social services system, um, even just families that um, you know a couple generations ago denied their Métis their Métisness for survival, and so we have so many people coming back to community. I think it's really important to find good places to connect, and sometimes art is a really good way to start those first couple steps. Well, thank you very much, Krista, for speaking with me a little bit about your beadwork today. Well, thank you for having me. Like you said, any time to gush about beadwork, I'm there for it. And uh, I'm happy to share. That's it for this week of Chimawin. Big thanks to our interview guest this week, Krista Letty, also known as the Beaded Chickadee, for talking to me about her beadwork. Make sure to check out some of her designs on social media, at Beaded Chickadee. Maybe stop by the Blue Horse Gallery in Smoky Lake if you're in the area, and keep an eye out for that Royal Alberta Museum exhibit, Breathe, coming out later this year. I'm your host, Shayna Giles, and our theme song is Come and Get Your Love by Redbone. One piece of info I'd like to pass on, next week, June 2nd, there won't be a new episode of Achimowin but I'll be using that time to chase new stories and find new folks to talk to. So if you're doing something cool, or you've got some news you want me to take a look into in the Edmonton area, feel free to reach out through an email at achimowin at cjsr.com, or use the hashtag achimowin on social media. Did you miss last week's episode, or maybe just want to listen to this week's episode again? Check out our Achimowin SoundCloud playlist by going to CJSRFM on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride Month and Indigenous History Month, and I hope you have an awesome day.